like when politicians fulfill their promises. Now, the fact that he didn't invite President Putin, President Xi, both significantly le- uh, left out, is, is the consequence of that one of the consequences that it's going to drive Russia and China closer together? Well, this event was always meant really to be uh, for, for the U.S. and its, its closest friends or the countries that it thinks are its closest friends. Uh, the, name, the name list, the invite list got up to 100 plus. Uh, I don't think the uh, intention was ever to invite uh, countries that, that we just don't consider to be in the form of Western democracies like Russia uh, and China. So uh, you know, Russia and China are probably going to get closer regardless of this particular event. Uh, again, there, there's so many issues in the bilateral relationships that the United States has with these countries that uh, seeking friendship with, with you know the, the enemy of my enemy uh, certainly applies here uh, regardless of this event which in a way just kind of shows how pointless this event was or there's another approach which uh, the Biden administration obviously didn't take is they could have invited these countries and then face to face argued with them about the merits of democracy but again that really wasn't the structure of this event. Mm. Okay, Ross, thanks very much. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets, the ASX 200 in Australia, that's uh, up down about 0.4%. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan is also down about 0.4%. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 200 points lower in just under an hour's time. Just a reminder, in this Thursday's Money Talk, we're going to be launching our Operation Santa Claus annual charity auction. And like last year, it's all online. We're auctioning staycations, dining experiences, beauty and pamper vouchers, art and much more. We're going to invite bids over a 24-hour period, starting from 8.25 in Money Talk on Thursday. And the Consul General of Finland, Johanna Karanko, will be joining me on the programme to help us launch the auction. But you're welcome to take a look now at what's available and register in advance to bid. Go to the RTHK homepage, rthk.hk forward slash radio 3. Do stay tuned to Radio 3. Back chat's coming up in a moment with Jim Gould and Jenny Lamb. The weather forecast, uh, sunny periods, dry during the day, maximum temperature of around 22 degrees. Temperature's going to rise slightly in the next couple of days. 19 degrees right now, 73% relative humidity. Improve electoral system. Ensure patriots administering Hong Kong. Remember to cast your vote in the Legislative Council general election on December 19th. 8.32 and a half, here's Andrew Shrosky with the Half Hour News. A concern group says education officials can learn a lesson from how the Nanjing massacre was taught in schools after a primary school in Tunmun said it offered counseling to students because some were upset after being shown graphic footage of the 1937 massacre. Mervyn Cheung from the Education Policy Concern Organization said he agreed with the Education Bureau that history shouldn't be avoided. However, he said teachers need to consider the age and maturity of the pupils when selecting what to show. On the teacher's side, uh, have they really um, exercised uh, sufficiently their, their professional judgment in the selection and presentation of materials, uh, especially the, um, the, the graphic uh, uh, videos or images of the Japanese in, uh, aggression into China. Now, this is uh, something that should be uh, further heated in, in, in the future. Uh, I think that they should do sufficient uh, screening and adaptation of the, of the materials and tools so, uh, so given to them and, and guide the students accordingly. Health officials have reported two more cases of the Omicron variant of COVID-19 in Hong Kong. Steve Dunthorne has the details. 
The Centre for Health Protection said that newly completed genome sequencing showed that a 62-year-old man and a woman aged 50 were carrying the Omicron variant. The two, who arrived together on a Cathay Pacific flight from London on Friday, tested positive at the airport. They were confirmed as COVID cases on Sunday. The finding takes the total number of Omicron cases in Hong Kong to seven. Meanwhile, the Tianjin Daily newspaper reported that health authorities in the mainland city had announced that a person who recently arrived from overseas had tested positive for the Omicron variant. No further details have been given. It's the first Omicron case on the mainland. Nominations have been announced for the Golden Globes TV and Film Awards. But next month's ceremony is facing widespread boycotts over past revelations of racial prejudice. The BBC's Colin Patterson reports. Belfast, about the troubles in the 1960s, has seven nominations, including Best Film Drama and Best Director for Sir Kenneth Branagh. But any wins won't be seen on TV. Earlier this year, it emerged that not one of the 87 members of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association who vote for the Golden Globes was black, and that had been the case since 2002. In response, the rights holder, NBC, announced that it wouldn't televise the 2022 awards. Amazon and Netflix refused to screen their films to voters, and Tom Cruise returned the three Golden Globes he'd won. That's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Jenny Lamb. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning, everybody. As you heard in the news just now, uh, Hong Kong has reported uh, two more imported cases of the Omicron variant of the coronavirus. A 62-year-old man and a 50-year-old woman who arrived from the UK were confirmed as cases on Sunday, bringing the total to seven. The Centre for Health Protection says there hasn't been any spread in the community as all seven cases were detected within the restricted area of the airport or at quarantine hotels. Also, Hong Kong researchers have found that the BioNTech vaccine is less effective at neutralising Omicron compared with the other variants, but they say uh, vaccines remain the most effective protection and a booster shot greatly improves this. Data from a study involving the Sinovac vaccine should soon be available. Meanwhile, the Hong Kong Anti-Cancer Society has said that cancer screening rates have fallen by up to 44% since the onset of the coronavirus pandemic in early 2020. From 9.15 this morning, we'll be talking about uh, foreign domestic helpers uh, driving in Hong Kong. Uh, let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 uh, Joining us now on the line, we have uh, Malik Peris, uh, Chair of Virology at the Hong Kong University School of Public Health and also Dr Henry Young, a council member of the Hong Kong Chinese Medical Association. Um, Malik Pires, perhaps if we can ask you first, uh, uh, good morning to you. Hello, Malik, Malik, Malik Pires. Uh, good morning, good can morning. you hear me? Yes, we can, yes, yes, yeah. Thank you for joining us. Um, so we're starting to see cases of people arriving now uh, with the variant... Um, 
with the Omicron variant of the coronavirus. Um, so far, there's been no spread in the community, but how concerned do you think we should be about it, given that it is transmiss transmissibility does seem to be uh, much greater? Yes, so, uh, I mean, the data so far from South Africa and also from the UK seems to suggest that the Omicron variant is the most transmissible uh, virus uh, uh, causing COVID-19 to date. It is even more transmissible than Delta. So it, it definitely will pose a major, major challenge. So there are two other major questions, uh, and that is uh, severity of disease. Uh, and so far, that it, there is no indication it is more severe, but it is not certain whether it is less severe at the moment. And then whether vaccines will protect. Uh, so that is the the question that we have tried to address, the question of vaccine protection, and that is what you referred to in your introduction, that uh, vaccine antibody is, has reduced protection against Omicron, but not zero protection. So that emphasizes the need to get booster shots, particularly for those who are at high risk. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I, I think Jenny had a technical question. So, so um, I, I was reading in the Morning Post um, about your research that, that the, 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 uh, the Morning Post said that the antibody level is 32 times less with, uh, with Omicron. Is it more the case that it's not the right antibody rather than less antibody? Is a wrong lock and key mechanism? Can you explain that a little bit? Yes, so uh, that is a complex question. But essentially, the, the simple answer is that uh, if you have enough antibody, you can overcome the loss of activity against the Omicron variant. So that is why we believe that uh, with, with booster doses, which will boost up the antibody levels, the 32-fold uh, reduction in antibody can be compensated for. So you have to keep in mind that 32-fold loss of antibody does not mean 32-fold loss of protection. It means that the threshold for protection, it needs to be that much higher in order to uh, for the antibodies to do their job. Okay, so so can you explain a little bit, uh, Dr. Perez, about how viruses generally evolve? So I would imagine uh, it is not actually in the virus's interest to kill the host, i.e., us. Um, if it's if this Omicron is more contagious but less fatal. You know, mortality is lower, severity is less. Isn't that kind of what we we hope that will happen? That the people will acquire immunity from infection, like like we would from cold. Uh, you're perfectly right that uh, when viruses mutate, they basically mutate towards greater transmissibility, and then as the population becomes more and more immune, either through natural infection or vaccination then there's a pressure for them also to evolve, to evade that immunity, right? So those are the two pressures that are driving the virus, not necessarily increasing severity, but severity may increase or decrease uh, as an incidental effect. So um, what we are seeing, you know, progressively from the original virus to the alpha virus to the delta virus to the Omicron is progressive increase in transmissibility. Uh, not necessarily a huge change in severity, but like I say, that may go either way. Now, the data from South Africa, as I mentioned, suggests um, it may not have a huge impact on South Africa, but you have to, uh, you have to keep in mind the context of South Africa. 70% of the population have already been infected. 
So uh, in that context, um, this virus is not causing a huge impact. In Hong Kong, only 1% of the population have been naturally infected. So all we have in Hong Kong is vaccination. And that is why it is absolutely crucial, particularly that the groups at highest risk, uh, that is the older people, people who have other underlying diseases, need to get vaccinated. Because we cannot assume that uh, uh, a virus that spreads so readily will be absolutely mild if millions and millions of people get infected. And South Africa has a much younger population as well, so um, obviously... Exactly. The, uh, okay, um, so also with us is Dr. Henry Young from the yeah. Hong Kong Chinese Medical Association. Good morning to you. Uh, there's a report in the South China Morning Post that, uh, that uh, the, UK, the, the UK is about to be uh, added uh, to the list of uh, countries whereby arriving Hong Kong residents uh, will be required to uh, spend seven days in a quarantine facility, probably uh, Penny's Bay, before uh, two weeks in the hotel. Um, would you expect that uh, that list will now start to expand as uh, you know, the uh, Omicron variant spreads around the world? Yeah, I, think, I do think so. I think, uh, just the professor said, that is that the virus, the variant, the Omicron is so contagious, it will spread very, very fast. I, I think that the least, the least, the A-list will, will increase expo exponentially within a few, few weeks. And um, it was same token, just uh, Dr. Maria said, that uh, uh, if we have enough population of Hong Kong being vaccinated, it's not infected, then we get more protection against this variant or Omicron otherwise. And, uh, I would like to uh, uh, share some experience, uh, personal experience with the uh, vaccine, the COVID vaccine. Yes, please. Actually, I re received the corona vaccine. I took I took the back for the antibody study before the vaccine, after the second dose of vaccine, and before the third dose of vaccine, after the third dose of vaccine. And I find out that the the response rate for response for the antibody theta is sky high up to the third dose of corona vaccine. There's a around uh, eight months after the second dose. And uh, for the response of the second dose, only only 10 times of normal. But for the third dose, after that, I have got sky high antibody theta. And with that, I, I, I wish that uh, anybody with the third dose of the vaccine in Hong Kong would get much protected against any kind of variant, uh, including Omicron. Yeah, does this decline in antibodies level? Doesn't it depend on how good your own immune system is? So, for example, in you know, in, a, in an uh, old, older person, the decline might be quicker. Or I, I think uh, I'm just a normal people, normal person. Uh, I've heard uh, a few colleagues who are doing the same test with me, and they got the same results. I think these results do occur in normal people. Uh, I. Uh, maybe it may not occur in those uh, immunocompromised patients and, and that we have to uh, think of a more uh, vaccination for those uh, immunocompromised patients in that, in, in that way, yeah. So medical experts are generally in, all in agreement that uh, a booster shot is very essential uh, for personal protection against uh, the c coronavirus, you know, whatever the variant may be. Yes, because uh, if we can reach a very high level in the body and we can uh, reach the threshold for the protection, then we are all protected after the third, 
third dose, or even the fourth dose. Yeah, so presumably um, the researchers are working on a vaccine that's effective against Omicron. If we're talking about this mRNA vaccine, um, presumably as a case of adjusting what, the, the, the genetic sequence on the mRNA, how long does it take really to, to adjust it so that we have a new vaccine that's effective, you think? I'm not an expert in this, and um, as far as study from the articles uh, for the mRNA vaccine, I think they are now proposed to shorten the interval between the second and third dose to three months. For the um, for the inactivated vaccine, it will be prolonged to up to six to eight months between the third, second and third dose to, to have the best results, and that's what I, I've learned from the papers here. As you said, you measured your antibodies level. Should should we be measuring antibodies level and gauge how you know individuals um, when it is suitable for the next vaccine? You know, of, of a fourth, the fifth. You know, shouldn't be we shouldn't we be doing that rather than just say everybody get vaccinated regardless? What would you? Think? Yeah, if we can, we get the um, uh, studies and showing that this was. This uh, good results after the third or second uh, third booster dose, and we can we can you know you know, give the guidance to the general population receive the booster dose straight away, and this uh, the way scientists work to help the community. What about what about these uh, pills um, that are de being developed? that, you know, are supposed to, you know, if you're infected, is supposed to mitigate the severity of the disease. Will that be useful? Um, the severity of disease, I, I haven't, I haven't come, come across an actual case of Omicron because this, the Omicron uh, variant does not uh, occur in the community at all in Hong Kong. And uh, as far as I heard from the literature, there's still uncertainty about the severity of this variant, and we have will take time to see afterwards. Yes, uh, we 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 hope that it will go less less severe in this variant. As long as more continuous, contagious, we do believe the uh, severity of the disease may decrease. Uh, this brings us back to an issue that we've talked about before, and that is the fact that uh, the vaccination rate uh, could be higher. I mean, particularly among older people, the, pe the people aged 80 and over, the vaccination rate is, is pretty poor, isn't it? I mean, how concerned are you about that? Uh, from, from the recent one month or two, uh, me and uh, uh, my colleagues and me in the private clinics and in the uh, uh, vaccination centers have encountered uh, 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 elderly people coming forward for vaccine, and they they have, they, they come came came for vaccination for various uh, purposes to make sure that they can visit the mainland for to the friends in mainland and maybe go out to to take uh, lunch and with with their kids and so on. And uh, I think the uh, the 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 the, uh, the elderly people are coming out now. Uh, because of the uh, encouragement from the government in the, uh, taking the vaccine. Hmm. As uh, Professor Perez pointed out earlier, the context of South Africa is very different from us in that they have a, you know, a large proportion of the population that had already been infected and therefore the level of severity that Omicron is causing may be less. So if we are struck by Omicron here, do you envisage um, the need to have massive lockdown again, everybody work from home. It's, it's 
do you think that we need far stricter um, prevent, preventative measures in a country that already has a high level of infection? Uh, similar to those infected in the in the South Africa, if we the whole population, maybe up to ninety five percent of the population, have got the vaccination against this uh, COVID, just like some uh, professor in University of Hong Kong said, then we are well protected. We don't need to lock down the city. Otherwise, you get as much as people being vaccinated, and that's that's the main issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was also a a, a news item. Uh, emanating from the University of Hong Kong. In fact, uh, I meant to ask Malik Pierce about this, but he could only stay with us for, uh, for, for a short time. He had to leave at, um, at uh, 8.45. But um, researchers at the University of Hong Kong, uh, they've also warned that uh, some elderly people and patients with chronic diseases uh, may have avoided seeking medical treatment in hospital uh, because of concerns relating to the pandemic. Um, is that something that uh, you recognise, um, Dr. Young? Is that a big problem? I don't recognize such a problem mm. in the community. If there's problem uh, occurring in the elderly home, those elderly, the, the elderly people stay in the elderly home, that the nursing staff may take the, the elderly sick people go to the hospital straight away. Those uh, stay at home, their relatives and friends, we're trying to seek the advice first in the community doctors before they have to be either preferred to the, to the hospitals or going back to the I think, I think they are much more health concern nowadays. They do a lot of uh, preventive measures for the elderly, and uh, they are now thinking of uh, allowing the elderly to have the vaccinations nowadays. Uh, okay, uh, a couple of emails here from uh, listeners. Uh, uh, Simon writes. People are getting this new strain all wrong. It's clear when you look at the data that each new strain is less lethal than the previous. Uh, the infection fatality ratios are, besides uh, a native virus, I'm not sure what that is, uh, 3 to 4%, alpha 1.9%, beta 1.2%, delta 0.5%. So perhaps the new variant has an infection fatality ratio that's lower than delta. To me, this feels like the beginning of the end of the pandemic. Um, do you have any uh, <laughs> any comments on that, uh, Dr. Young? Or is that, is that uh, wishful thinking from Simon? But interesting figures, nonetheless, and it's an interesting concept, isn't it? That uh, yeah, that yeah. perhaps <laughs> per, per, perhaps as the outbreak goes on, su- successive um, variants may be less less severe. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe yeah, less, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's the same question that I put to Professor Paris earlier that the Simon is, is suggesting is that as a virus evolves um it's you know it becomes more transmissible but but less fatal i mean isn't that what kind of we're hoping that the that the virus will do that you know it becomes nothing more than a common cold isn't that kind of yeah 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 how, how do how, how do these you know for example with the spanish flu it, it went on, on for many years and eventually just sort of peters out what what, what can you tell us about so the natural course of disease development that way I think I leave that to the, to the expert in the uh, infectious disease. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. To answer that, yeah. 
Okay, there's an, another message here from uh, also from Simon says, uh, please explain what's the point of getting the booster. I got fully vaccinated in April 2021, but there's no benefit in being vaccinated as I cannot travel out of Hong Kong because the quarantine required is draconian. Um, Dr. Young? Yeah, I think the, the booster is uh, really necessary to protect your own self. It's for your health. It's not for the travel. I think uh, as long as the government, in uh, all the all, all the all the governments know the the consequence of the first booster dose, and uh, because of this uh, huge protection uh, being uh, attained after uh, getting uh, sky high antibodies, then they will lose uh, border control after that. And if uh, that is says the way that there's one way that uh, that that. Yeah, those of us who are uh, triple vaccinated uh, can feel uh, more safe. But I think uh, Simon's point was partly about incentives for people being vaccinated. I mean, uh, are, are there enough incentives? I mean, if somebody has no travel plans or if somebody's uh, old, you know old and perhaps still worried about side effects, despite all the insur- all the assurances that uh, it should be all right. Uh, I mean, the fact is that the government has developed an incentive for those people who have, uh, uh, who have uh, you know, received a booster dose and, uh, and know the results of the antibody levels in the blood afterwards, then they will get, get a, a concrete formula for that, for any incentive, you know. Uh, what's the process for measuring your antibody level? Is it is it a simple procedure? It's a antibody sky high and uh, uh, very much close above the the threshold. And uh, we 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 strongly believe that uh, uh, these people uh, will be immune from the from the uh, variant variant attack, COVID variant attack. Uh, even if they got infected, the symptoms will be much much less. But uh, how do you actually do it? Hospitalization. Yeah. Uh, we can do the, the uh, blood taking and study for that for that for, for those people who got the booster dose. Yeah. Mm. Right now, right now, those antibody tests, I think it, it costs over a thousand dollars. Is that is that correct? Oh, uh, less than one thousand, maybe some some sort of half a thousand dollars for that. Do you do you think it's a useful way to to maybe make that more accessible to to a lot of people so that they they sort of are reassured that they're protected? Do you? Yeah, if there's a um, standardized test, then it, it will be cause uh, safety uh, you know uh, safety uh, signals uh, to those uh, who got the vaccine and, and to the government to uh, issue a policy. To allow people to go uh, out or in of the border, then I think that government may work on this uh, to ensure uh, um, you know a quicker way of uh, uh, border border release if there's if people who are longing for that. Okay, there's a message on our Facebook page from a listener, John. Um, His message, this is news to me, so I'd like to ask you as an expert, uh, Dr. Young, but uh, John says uh, there is plenty of evidence that 
daily vitamin D is very effective to lower risk with no side effects. But doctors and WHO are not promoting this low-cost and simple protocol. No money to be made from vitamin D? Question mark. Particularly in countries with very low vaccination rate, it is simple and cost-effective protocol. Um, do you know anything about that, uh, Dr Young? Vitamin D is an effective uh, measure against infection or sickness? You may have it, you, you may have it bit, but not specific, specific against uh, COVID uh, virus. And mm. uh, I do think uh, self-protection and safety measures plus vaccination is the best to protect oneself. Mm. Do you have any advice for the audience how to make sure that own immunity is strong beyond having the vaccine? I think uh, you have to first ask your community doctor or family doctor before you take the vaccine. Uh, as long as I have uh, been doing uh, uh, the vaccination in the community, uh, I do uh, foresee one or two side effects of the vaccine, and this is very uh, uh, minimum. And most or really all the people who come to the clinic can receive the vaccine very Okay. And well, this is a message I would uh, like to put across to the community okay. uh, to, 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 to let them uh, think about uh, uh, for, for the vaccination. Uh, uh, if you have a lot being vaccinated uh, over this uh, year, you know. Okay, good. Thank you very much. Got that loud and clear. Dr. Henry Young there, council member of the Hong Kong Chinese Medical Association. Thanks for speaking to us uh, on the programme this morning. Um, just before we break for the news summary at nine o'clock, uh, quick look at the weather. Sunny periods today, top temperature around 22 degrees, moderate to fresh easterly winds. And the outlook, uh, temperatures will rise slightly in the next couple of days. Currently 19 degrees, humidity 73%. Improve electoral system. Ensure patriots administering Hong Kong. Remember to cast your vote in the Legislative Council general election on December 19th. Coronavirus and the Omicron variant and travel restrictions and also um, another element of this is that uh, a study has found by the, uh, this is by the Hong Kong Anti-Cancer Society, that uh, cancer screening rates have fallen by up to 44% since the onset of the pandemic, and that is a result of uh, people being reluctant to go for screening because of fears about uh, COVID-19 transmission. Um, to talk about this, uh, in this part of the programme, uh, we're joined on the line by Dr Liu Qinying, uh, Chairman of the Cancer Education Subcommittee of the Hong Kong Anti-Cancer Society. Um, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so uh, can you, you. Tell, us a, uh, tell us a little bit more about your study and what you found? Yeah, the study is basically uh, showing us these um, citizens in Hong Kong. We compare, we actually survey over a thousand uh, citizens uh, of age 18 or above. And uh, we found that comparing the uh, pre-COVID um, uh, period to the uh, 2020, the very heavily uh, infecting period, to the improving uh, uh, infection rate in 2021. What we found was 
there is a sharp drop in terms of uh, cancer screening, in terms of uh, breast cancer screening, cervical cancer screening, and also colon cancer screening. And uh, between a pre-COVID period to 2020, a drop between um, uh, third, uh, 31 to 70%. And then this one, this drop did not pick up markedly, even when the uh, the uh, infection, as we can see now, is actually improving so much. So, do these people have a legitimate fear? I, I think I think we, we we went further to ask why that's so, because we initially asked them about you know what would what would they do after the pandemic or after this in, infection is actually uh, wearing wearing out. And uh, a significant number of them would say you would, they would resume their screening. But as a matter of fact, actually, that did not turn into action. And uh, part of it is uh, from our uh, uh, results. It shows that they worry about infection. They worry about going into clinics. They worry about getting infection either in the clinic or in the community. Not just themselves worrying about it. Even the family worry of them going uh, out uh, for screening, contracting the virus. And the second point is, because of that, they, they would think, why don't we delay? Delay the screening or delay any action taken until their symptoms. But we know it from studies in the UK, once the uh, screenings delay, the risk of dying from cancer is, has increased. So you, you you mentioned breast cancer and colon cancer. Which um, which sector of the community would be most at risk? Which which type of uh, cancer risk is is? Uh... Um, not all cancers are amenable to early screening, but we know that for common cancers like breast cancer, cervical cancer, colon cancer, and for some types of at risk uh, population like someone who is uh, regularly smoking or someone who is known to have hepatitis and cirrhosis. And those uh, people would be uh, amenable for early screening. And I think it's important for citizens to know that resuming screening, detecting cancer earlier, would help to pick up those early disease and then would enhance the cure rate. So are you concerned that this uh, situation is going to lead to a, a lot of problems in the future? I do think so, actually. This is what we see, actually, in, in the front line. We, we see uh, fewer patients, but on the other hand, those patients presented tend to be of more advanced disease. And as time goes by, if that accumulates, it's going to put pressure on the healthcare system. Because there isn't a lot of uh, evidence of uh, the transmission of coronavirus in hospitals, is there? I mean, are, there, are, there, are their fears completely unfounded? Well, what we see now, actually, in Hong Kong, we, we don't see, actually, basically, it's actually there's really minimal or close to none local infections. So the most important thing is in getting infection of COVID in the community is actually very, very low. The important thing is actually making adequate protection for an individual, having good hand hygiene, wearing masks, and those uh, are very, very important to avoid, you know, uh, uh, contracting the, the virus. And because of that, being having confidence in going into the the uh, uh, hospital to do screening or clinics to do screening. 
Yeah, as you say, there's there's no COVID in the community at the moment. There, there, there hasn't been for, for a number of months, uh, but there, there have been uh, outbreaks uh, in the past. Um, is is that a sort of, is there some sort of hangover? People are still worried about those uh, those times when we were seeing, uh, you know, 100 or so cases uh, per day. Um, is that still sort of, you know, play, playing on people's mind and causing them to be concerned? I th- possibly. Uh, we did not uh, have divided the question into a uh, smaller subset to, to look into that. But uh, the majority of them really worry about getting infection in, in hospital. So I think that's important for the community to be aware that, you know, the infection rate is actually is not uh, is zero at the moment in the, in the community. So the past worry is not really... Should not be a major force of stopping stopping them from going into clinics and, and hospital again. Mm-hmm. So, so you you you're saying this delay in cancer screening will eventually present as an increase in the number of cases of cancer, right? So, how soon do you think that will be, and which type of cancer are we talking about? I think the most common cancers, uh, like. Uh, breast cancer, colon cancer, and, and lung cancer. And um, the, I think we, we, we see it now in, in, the, in the front line, we see them presented late. But I think uh, as hopefully as the um, community is getting more confident into uh, screening, Hopefully, you know, we're seeing earlier disease again. So are, are you saying that there are more people presenting with a later stage cancer right now? Are you? That's that? in, the, in the front line, that's what we see, actually. And what is the increase? Well, I don't have a number uh, at the moment, but uh, that's what we, we see patient presenting with, because they present now, uh, more patients present now because of the uh, symptoms rather than because of the, uh, from screening. Particularly with colon cancer, is that? Colon cancer is one of them. The, the other is uh, uh, lung cancer. Mm-hmm. So which type of cancers uh, are, make it most important to be uh, re- regularly screened for? The um, cancer that, uh, that is like a breast cancer, yeah. that we know mm-hmm. that we have a uh, well-founded tool to screen them breast cancer, uh, cervical cancer, colon cancer, and for at-risk group like patients or citizens with uh, hepatitis, uh, history of hepatitis and also cirrhosis, those uh, screening the liver is important. And for uh, citizens who regularly smoke and screening of their lung is actually uh, important as well. So, so you you with the cancer education subcommittee now. But with people with cancer, presumably, when they get the treatment, they will become immunocompromised for COVID and other infections. Um, should should people be worried about that? People undergoing cancer treatment, what kind of extra precaution? I mean, does the vaccine even work for them? Well, I think it's important, even though they, they there's even more important there because receiving treatment will make them immunocompromised. It's even more important to receive a vaccination because for immunocompromised uh, individuals, if they contract uh, COVID-19, they are more likely to get into complications. So um, my, my advice for citizens with um, cancer who are on treatment, 
unless if they are finishing treatment very shortly, they may consider the COVID after treatment. But they should be uh, seriously considering receiving uh, COVID vaccination even during treatment. So what can you do as an organisation to, uh, to encourage people to, uh, to continue with or to resume their screening? I think exactly that's why you invite me to, yes, to come to the, the station. Yeah. I think it's really yeah. getting the public to uh, be aware of the, the fact that now uh, the infection rate is actually in the community is zero. It's safe to go to um, resuming screening. And, but on, at the same time, there are a couple of things they need to be aware of is first, make sure they protect themselves, like you're wearing masks and also hygiene. The second thing is if they haven't been in, uh, vaccinated, they should seriously consider vaccination. Right. So if somebody is, uh, is suffering from cancer, then it's, uh, uh, the vaccination is not going to cause uh, any additional problems for them um. No, I think mm. vaccination is going to protect them from yeah. getting serious serious complication if mm-hmm. they have contracted the virus. Mm. So it's important to consider vaccination. Sure, that's a very important message. Yeah. yeah so, mm. so, so tell me a little bit about the the uh, uh, you know when when people are undergoing cancer treatment, they're immunocompromised anyway, and you're saying that they should really wait after the treatment um, before getting. Um, uh, the the jab, uh, so you know if if a person suspects that they they y- you go for screening and you have cancer and then you know how do you, how do you weigh when or whether um, uh, somebody who has uh, who has been diagnosed with cancer whether they should get the vaccine? Well, I think they probably should not wait while they're doing the investigation uh, to receive the vaccination. Because they, a, a, as a person, we all face with different risks at, at different times. So um, COVID infection is one risk. Um, in the process, of, the process of diagnosing a cancer, leading to consideration of treatment is another process and risk that they're facing. But I think while they are, uh, if they haven't been vaccinated, you know, and at the same time now they are being investigated for uh, for uh, cancer diagnosis, they should seriously consider vaccination early. Okay, well, thank you very much for joining us uh, and explaining that uh, on the programme there. Uh, Dr Liu Qinying, uh, uh, Chairman of the Cancer Education Subcommittee of the Hong Kong Anti-Cancer Society. Um, just a couple of uh, quick email messages. This is what we were talking about uh, before the break, uh, before nine o'clock. Uh, um, there was a, a mention of, a, of, of the, a vitamin D, the use of vitamin D uh, as an uh, antivirus measure. Uh, Bill says uh, low vitamin D levels do not aggravate COVID-19 risk or death and vitamin D supplementation does not improve outcomes in hospitalised patients with COVID-19. Simon 
says another message from Simon. Um, the government doesn't care about the unintended consequences of its zero COVID policy. All they want to do is fall in line with the mainland. I really feel that people have lost their ability to assess risks. I see people wearing masks while driving around alone in a car. There is no virus in this town. It's all a result of the fear that the government has spread around. Um, that kind of brings us on to our next uh, subject uh, because uh, we're talking about uh, a driving-related issue and that is uh, domestic helpers uh, uh, driving in Hong Kong. This, of course, is a matter that's come to public attention because of that tragic incident on Friday when there's that uh, accident uh, in Soho when a car uh, rolled uh, backwards down a slope. Um, and we're joined, uh, we're joined on the line by Thomas Chan, who's the chairman of the Hong Kong Union of Employment Agencies. Uh, uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Good thanks morning, for, everyone. Thanks, thanks very much to, for joining us. Perhaps if I can just read you a, a question which uh, has come in an email from our a listener, and then, um, and then perhaps if you'd like to, uh, to answer that, uh, Mr Chan. So, so this is from Alonso. He says, a uh, question about uh, FDHs who double up as drivers, that's foreign domestic helpers. Do they have to pass a local driving test to drive in Hong Kong, or can they rely on their test from their countries of origin, the Philippines, Indonesia, India, etc., to secure an international license? I ask this question because perhaps test standards in other countries may not be as high as in Hong Kong. Moreover, I've heard that uh, driving licenses can be bought in some countries by requiring all FDH drivers to take a Hong Kong driving test. Perhaps we would add a layer of security to our roads. Um, what is the situation there, Mr Chen? Okay, uh, for domestic helpers, they want to perform some uh, driving duties for the employer. The first criteria is that they must, they must uh, pass the Hong Kong driving test and get the Hong Kong driving license. Uh, no other license from any other country will be accepted. This is the first uh, condition. Second, uh, employer, they also have to apply to Hong Kong immigration uh, the additional permit, uh, what we call the addendum uh, for driving duties. And then those driving duties must arise from the domestic duties, for example, sending children or kids to school or somewhere, uh, sending the elderly persons to hospital for a clinical follow-up or sending the other worker, co-worker to the market to buy some food, something like that. Only those uh, very limited areas of special duties, then uh, immigration will give them the special permit. But so, it's quite hard because the immigration currency is very strict uh, to approve such kinds of uh, special permits to domestic helpers. Is it common to see in foreign domestic helpers contract this kind of duty listed, like driving the kids to school or driving an elderly person? How much detail is there in the contract and how common it is that these details are in a contract? Uh, yes, uh, suppose uh, there are many, many requirements. The first one is, uh, I, I just mentioned, you, the employer must prove or justify uh, such application is uh, really uh, needed. And then, uh, second, they also have to provide the 
space for the driver to stay in. The whole currency, no stay out are allowed. But of course, in the market, a lot of people they are staying out. That's that's totally against the requirement or condition of stay in Hong Kong. My question was: If you draw up a contract with a foreign domestic helper, and and suppose it includes driving the children to school for the helper, um, does that need to be stated in the contract? Uh, is is this even ever stated in any contract? Yes, yes. That's why uh, first in the contract you have to show in the contract you have children or elderly to be taken care. Second, in the addendum. I mean, uh, the additional paper for such driving duties. You also have to prove you have such kinds of uh, duties in in the domestic uh, house. And also, the employer also have to show uh, they have the ownership of the vehicle the, the the worker is going to drive. You cannot uh, hire a person and then drive. Another person's car or company's car—that's that, not accepted. Do you know how many domestic helpers? Uh, what what percentage are are able to drive in Hong Kong? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the according to our that involves an increase in the domestic helper's salary as well. They're asked to perform these extra duties. Is that a fact? Yeah, about the salary, uh, I think uh, I, I should give you the correct concept. Uh, normally, if the domestic helpers with uh, driving skills, most of the employers, they will pay about 8000 to 10000 But uh, some people might question, how come? Uh, as what I heard in the market, a lot of people, they are earning about uh, 15000 to even 18000 something. But that's not the correct figure because most of the employers paying 15 or 18 suppose they ask the worker to stay out of the employer's house. And the additional 5000 is for the boarding house, for the food. But that I just mentioned, suppose I think 90% of them are violating the condition of space. A lot of people actually have uh, drivers, don't they? They, they hire full-time drivers. Um, are, are those drivers um, hired from overseas or from, from within Hong Kong, or how does that system work? Uh, if hired from overseas currency, I don't think so, because the immigration is quite strict to protect the occupation of local drivers. So... Uh, that's why, even if you call those uh, domestic helpers with driving duties as a family driver, that's also not the right uh, term for them. It's only driving duties is only attached to their domestic duties. They are not allowed 
for example, to send send employer, send your boss to to work after work, uh, fetching your boss home or fetching the guest or send the lady employer to 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 somewhere for shopping. That, that's not the duty. Uh, by this way, uh, another very serious uh, legal uh, issues might comes later. For example, uh, first immigration they can charge the employers and workers for giving false statements about the application of the abandon. Second, especially in case of any traffic accident, I think an insurance company, they will also find every excuse to deny the compensation. For example, if you really drive not strictly follow the requirement of immigration, then you are driving something not in the purpose. So what? Immigration will, uh, sorry, the insurance company, they can deny any compensation. So what happens if um, employers are willing to uh, pay for the foreign domestic helper to learn driving and get the test? Is that is that a possible? Oh, if employer is willing to pay for for the worker to learn something special skills, to learn driving, to learn piano, to learn anything, of course it's up to the employer. There is no no uh, no special laws or regulation regulating this kind of behavior. But then they have to revise that contract once that person is qualified to drive, right? Oh, once you get the driving license in Hong Kong, then you are qualified to apply for special or additional driving duty. Hmm. Okay. So, so most uh, professional drivers in Hong Kong, they're, they're, they're mostly uh, uh, local people, local guys? Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's the policy of Hong Kong uh, mm-hmm. immigration to mm-hmm. protect the occupation of local drivers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why uh, every day you, you see in Central or somewhere a lot of uh, Filipino or Indonesian drivers driving the car waiting in the road, waiting for the bus. To be honest, 90 percent of them they are violating the condition of the state. Right. Yeah. Um, so from a from a so we were talking just now. You, you said it's perfectly legitimate for the employer to, to pay for the helper to be trained and and uh, and then revise the contract. From the domestic helper's point of view, you, you're saying that they they should expect an eight thousand dollar increase in salary. Does that actually happen? Uh, that that's why. Uh, this this one is. The increase of the salary, supposedly, it was uh, caused by two factors. The first is, of course, the worker, they really have uh, some additional or special skills in performing domestic duties like driving. Second, the employers, they also have a wrong concept. Okay, I have a family driver, family driver, but that's not a family driver. So, uh, in reality, most of the... Uh, these domestic helpers uh, with driving duties. Uh, employer really treat them as the family driver. The only the only duty is to drive the car, uh, to, to to drive the car everywhere. Not doing uh, toilet washing, doing marketing, doing cooking, doing uh, washing the clothes. They, they are not doing that kind of job. But 
Uh, so I, actually, my question was, how much of a salary increase should the domestic helper expect uh, once they're qualified uh, the, the to drive? The increase of the salary is about, normally, if the domestic helpers really stay with the employer, they can get about uh, 4000 to to, to 6000 more okay. above the normal salary. OK, well, thank you very much for uh, joining us uh, on the programme this morning. That was uh, Thomas Chan, the chairman of the Hong Kong Union of Employment Agencies. Uh, one more, a couple more emails here, actually. Uh, one here on this subject uh, from Neil says, uh, uh, Dear Backchat, uh, regardless of being a domestic helper or any other type of driver, this is not the first uh, fatality from a vehicle rolling down a hill out of control without a driver. Education of drivers is extremely important and while uh, TD, I guess that's Transport Department has information on its website on how to park on hills what has been done in regard to driver training and driver testing is parking on hills tested on uh, every test route of the 58 approved driving test routes, only 20 have both roundabouts and pedestrian crossings. It would be interesting to know how many approved driving test routes actually test parking on a slope let alone on a steep hill. Uh, that from uh, Neil. And uh, Bill says, uh, waiting for the end of the pandemic means waiting forever. OK, thank you, Bill. <laughs> um, and thank you to all of our listeners and to everybody who wrote in. And thanks to you, Jenny. Thank you very much. And thanks to our producer, Yuki. And uh, just before we go to the news summary, and Morning Brew, a quick look at the weather. Sunny periods today, top temperature around 22 degrees, moderate to fresh east to northeasterly winds. The outlook, temperatures will rise slightly in the next couple of days. Winds will strengthen from the north and the weather will become cool in the latter part of this week. It's currently 19 degrees, humidity 72%. Improve electoral system. Ensure patriots administering Hong Kong. Remember to cast your vote in the Legislative Council general election on December 19th. The Legislative Council general election will be held on December 19th. Choose 90 committed representatives with vision, including 20 members returned by geographical constituencies through direct elections, 40 members returned by the election committee, and 30 members returned by functional constituencies to build a brighter future for Hong Kong and a better home for all. Cast your vote for Hong Kong, our home. Your vote is vital. The new summary with Andrew Shirovsky. A concern group says teachers need to consider the age and maturity of pupils when selecting what to show them. After a primary school in Tunmun said it offered counseling to students because some were upset after seeing graphic footage of the Nanjing massacre. Health officials have reported two more cases of the Omicron variant of COVID-19 in Hong Kong. And officials in the U.S. state of Kentucky have warned that residents of countries where tornadoes killed dozens of people could be without heat, water, or electricity in frigid temperatures for weeks or longer. I'll have more on these stories at, at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Well, not too bad at all. Good morning. Even the office 
on your radio and live online. This is The Morning Brew. Good morning, hello, and welcome to Tuesday here on The Morning Brew with me, Phil Whelan. Big thanks to James for brewing your morning yesterday. Actually, for the next few weeks, he and I are going to be playing musical chairs a bit, so expect some more JR along the way. Jared Watt will be with us today at 10.40 with some more great Christmas Aussie music. And, of course, all the news that's fit to broadcast from down under. 11.10, Dr. Merrin Pierce join us live from New Zealand once again and we're going to welcome back photographer and wildlife enthusiast Robert Ferguson to talk about bugs in Hong Kong. He has some amazing photographs to show you as well so join us on Facebook Live if you can. Then after 12, Melbourne bound from where biz futurist Maurice Misalowski is going to talk about the future of reality TV. Or if it has one. The first time we saw this genre was 1948 with a show called Candid Camera and it remained pretty popular thereafter. But since around 2010, its popularity has gone through the roof. Singing competitions, etc. And the competition winners achieving fame and fortune. It's simple, pretty cheap to make and it's addictive. But can it last? <laughs> 